The golden age of travel is back in the Palm Beaches. Relax on sun-kissed beaches with cleaner sands and fewer crowds. Experience the original, the one, the only, the Palm Beaches. Plan your trip at thepalmbeaches.com. Welcome to Double Century on the 99.94 Podcast Network. Have to bring all his experience into play. And McCollum. Well, that's gone. That's travelled the distance. Six. Because McCullum is uh, showing. Here he goes again. Number 12. Brendan McCullum just played the most significant innings in the history of cricket, while a man watched on talking on two phones at the same time. For almost a year, the BCCI had been working with uncharacteristic efficiency to make the IPL a success. The Indian Premier League was set to work. But even then, it needed a defining moment to tee off. McCullum was the visiting batter at the Chinnaswamy Stadium that night, but the local crowd did not mind. They cheered each one of his 13 sixes, danced more vigorously than any cheerleader. The sound from that game was absolutely deafening. The TV cameras panned to the celebrity Shah Rukh Khan, who was cheering on the Kolkata Knight Riders, who he owned while dancing in the stands. This was cricketainment at its best. The IPL commissioner met McCullum the next day. He thanked him for making his tournament a success. He loved calling the IPL his tournament. This was Lalit Modi, the man with the two phones. And how did we know who he was? Because he had clearly told the camera operators to focus on him as much as possible. Cricket fans may not have loved the guy, but they certainly knew what he looked like. Modi was an Indian business tycoon whose vision and implementation changed cricket forever. Until he arrived, cricket was pretty much being played as amateur. There was money, but it was usually very inadequate. Modi was a visionary who brought unheard of money to cricket. He made the cricketers rich, and more importantly, he made the BCCI rich. There is now so much money in the IPL and its younger siblings around the world that 15 years after that McCullum 100, more and more cricketers are giving up the international game to play franchise cricket. Perhaps no administrator ever had a greater impact in the history of our game. Lalat Modi has changed cricket forever. This season is about the people who bought cricket. Rich men who decided that they would make it better, more about them, or sometimes both. Maybe they wanted to profit from it or just insert themselves in an 11 they had no right to be in. But they had the money and cricket was purchased by them for their own wants and needs. This episode is about Lalat Modi. The megalomaniac who built the Indian Premier League, changed cricket forever, and now lives in exile. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Modi was born into money, but that was not all. He was gifted with a sharp business acumen. There's absolutely no doubt about that. He was far ahead of his times. In the 1980s, when he was a student, he imagined dubbing Hollywood movies in Hindi and releasing them in India. It didn't happen at the time, but by the 1990s and 2000s, cable TV channels were doing that directly. OTT platforms do the same today. Modi went to Duke University in North Carolina. 
a famous basketball school. And he was arrested at that time for trafficking cocaine and using a weapon with intent to kill. The kidnapping was also mentioned in the original charge. He would end up with a suspended two-year prison sentence and a five-year probation period with community service, and he returned to India after furnishing a $50,000 bond. Back home, he inherited his family business. But money was something he already had. It wasn't what he was after. In America, he had watched the NBA, and he wanted to replicate that same model in India, but with an intercity 50-over cricket tournament. You can see the logic in this. You probably need a brief history of how money came into Indian cricket because it's very bizarre. The BCCI didn't make any money out of TV coverage until 1991-92. In fact, until then, they sometimes paid Dortashan, India's national TV channel, to cover the game for them. Over the next few years, they figured out the incredible amount of money they had been sitting on for all that time. Dordashan tried to keep their monopoly until February 1995, and a court order stated that the airwaves or frequencies are public property, and that a citizen has a fundamental right to use the best means of imparting and receiving information as much as to have access to telecasting it for that purpose. Basically, they said the BCCI could now sell cricket to anyone. By this point, India had been experimenting with a little bit of day-night cricket. They'd actually tried that in the early 80s, inspired by what had happened in Australia, but they ditched the idea soon afterwards. But in the 1990s, they began to host matches under floodlights again. And by 1996, eight Indian grounds had hosted international games under lights. Most Indian middle-class households had only one TV set. Yet it seemed in that era that the cricket fan almost always won the family fights. By the mid-1990s, when India was playing, cricket had become evening family entertainment, often replacing movies or soaps. And it was at this point that Lalit Modi submitted his plan to the BCCI. In 1994, his Modi Entertainment Networks had become the official distributor of ESPN in India for 10 years. He knew the viewership details. And remember, Modi was an NBA fan, and he wanted to package cricket in that same way. City-based teamed, Indian and foreign cricketers, privately owned floodlights, extensive TV coverage, a game every night, glitz, entertainment, glamour, four to six weeks of the year. And so he approached the BCCI with a plan, 50 over matches, because, well, T20 cricket wasn't around then. So as you rightly said, Arun, Piyush and I worked for Lalit for an extensive period. Yeah. And we made the full proposal of a tournament of this kind, where the key elements were privately owned teams, yeah. television, night cricket, and huge money and entertainment. And 50 overs. Yeah. So we took it forward. We'd done a lot of homework. We'd identified coaches for the teams. We'd identified office space for the team. Wow. We had chats with the local cricket associations, private enterprise, but Correct. you can't do it without the association. So a lot of details and planning was done. The BCCI didn't accept it. This is, and, and you, to put in perspective, you're talking about two, three years after this whole $100,000 deal has happened for broadcast of matches, Absolutely, right? yeah, 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 yeah. And you're talking of... Millions of dollars in terms of television rights. You're talking of crores, or, you know, many, many lakhs yeah. per player, prize money. I think the other hesitancy was also because this will be run by a privately owned company. Yeah. The BCCI will give them the rights to hold it and there'll be some financial arrangement between giving the rights and things. Yeah. So to outsource a tournament due to somebody else didn't work with the BCCI. Which is understandable also, mm-hmm. because come to think of it, IPL is perhaps the only positive contribution of Indian cricket to world cricket. Mm-hmm. Koi cricket cup initiative, yeah, impulse, which has taken the game forward. Yeah. Nothing except IPL from India. The BCCI rejected this proposal. 
They were not convinced by the astronomical amounts that Modi had pitched. And they knew that there was money in televised evening cricket, but they didn't really realize how much. And they didn't want to share the game either. They were fine with profit sharing, but the idea of selling to private organizations did not appeal to them. Modi realized that to fulfill his cricketing dream, he had to get inside the BCCI. And even then, he would then have to become someone big enough for his words to matter. While Modi is a businessman, he also understands politics. And with the state government on his side, he got the Rajasthan Sports Act passed to break the stronghold of the Rungta brothers in the Rajasthan Cricket Association, which allowed him to make it through to the BCCI. Now, you do need to understand that the Rungta brothers had run the RCA for decades. They were also allies of Jagamohan Dalmia, the BCCI president. Dalmia was very well known in India and even outside that, a huge force in the BCCI and the ICC. And there is no doubt that he helped cricket grow in that era. He was part of the group that brought the World Cup out of England to Asia. And he was also the one who sold the 1996 World Cup rights to WorldTel for what was then an obscene amount. But it was also the same Dalmia who had rejected Modi's grand IPL plan. Modi had to defeat him to get the IPL working, and that wasn't particularly an easy task. Dalmia had been there for two decades. He was a big deal at the BCCI. To beat someone like that, Modi needed to back a big shot. This was Sharad Power, the former chief minister of Maharashtra. The Power group consisted of Ayas Bindra, N. Trinivasan, Raj Singh Dungapur, Shashank Manohar, and Modi. And he used the media brilliantly. He was ruthless in his accusations against Delmia. He and Manohar challenged the validity of the six members of the Delmia camp. They would eventually fall to power, which gave Modi a bit of a free reign. He could now launch his grand plan. And he had one more reason to, of course. The media mogul Shubhash Chandra had launched the Indian Cricket League, an intercity T20 tournament. He had usurped Modi's plan, but it didn't have the official stamp. The BCCI immediately declared the ICEL as a rebel league and banned all the cricketers. And in 2007, Modi relaunched his league as a T20 tournament. At this point, cricket was changing, but it wasn't just about the sport. Because cricket wasn't the only thing that Indians were crazy about. Bollywood stars like Shah Rukh Khan, Priti Zinta, Shilpa Shetty, Juhi Chala all owned teams. That meant that big shots of the movie industry would be on the boundary. Of course, he then did things like bringing cheerleaders in. They danced to DJ beats after fours, sixes, and wickets. That didn't always go down particularly well in India, and there were many other people who also said that he was bringing in a dehumanizing product. Modi, of course, didn't care. That's what they did in the NBA. They would start with a 60-match tournament, with, most importantly, a game every evening and the odd match in the afternoon. And it didn't really matter if you missed the odd match or even seven in a row. You could always begin at the eighth and just start watching from there. It wasn't like a normal TV product that way. Modi promised that the IPL would become recession-proof. And even though he's no longer involved, considering how it handled the COVID period, you'd have to say he was pretty right. The IPL TV rights were sold for $25 million in 2007. By 2022, that was $6.2 billion. Alas, as well as the IPL has gone, Modi's career has not been as good. He was suspended the day after the 2010 final on 22 charges. These included rigging franchise bids of 2010, some of which he kind of admits, by the way, charging facilitation fees for broadcasting rights, arranging dubious bids for Rajasthan Royals and Kings Eleven Punjab, leaking classified BCCI information, and I could go on. And then the enforcement directorate of the Indian government launched multiple investigations into him, and they stretched far beyond cricket. 
Modi fled to London, and three years later, a BCCI committee found him guilty on eight counts. But even so, he's still the self-appointed architect of the IPL. They couldn't actually take that away from him. And we've talked about it a lot in this series. Money had challenged international cricket before, Kerry Packer, Ali Barker, and even Subhash Chandra. But they were rebels. They were fighting against the boards. The interesting thing about that is it is almost impossible for a rebel league to last. That was part of Modi's big genius. He played the long game and he got into the board and he set up something that could easily last forever that is still worth billions of dollars. Remember, since the IPL has started, many other boards have tried to replicate it. But there's a couple of reasons that hasn't worked. One, they just don't have the market that India does. But also, the BCCI doesn't allow Indian cricketers to play in those leagues. And that was another shrewd move meaning that Indian fans could only see the best Indian talent night after night when they were watching their own league. In its history, cricket has never moved away from international matches as rapidly as it seems to be now. We are probably in the last decade where international cricket will continue the way that it is. Eventually, it will split in many different ways, and franchise cricket, and most importantly the IPL, will be the main form of cricket, outside of World Cups and a couple of boutique events. Cricketers around the world remain indebted to Lalit Modi. He's ensured that so many of them don't even have to think about a day job or what to do in the off-season anymore. He revolutionized an archaic sport from the inside out. Not always easy to do in the land of suits and old green men. But you cannot talk about all the positive stuff without talking about the other side. He was, at one stage, everything about Indian cricket. ESPN Crick Info editor Sambit Bal once showed Lalit Modi a magazine cover with Raul Dravid on the front wearing his BCCI cap. Modi looked at Bal and said, you can't use that, I own that. He meant the BCCI, but kind of also himself, right? To him, there was no real distinction between the two in those years. He was the golden wonder boy who saw the game completely different to all the administrators and he made everyone rich. But he also knew that publicity was the key. And he had used that to the fullest while getting rid of Dalmia. And in the early years of the IPL, he gave the league for free to the UK via ITV. It didn't matter if he was losing out on initial revenue. He just put it online as well with YouTube in certain markets. He just wanted people to see his product. There aren't many people in this season that I've had anything to do with. My career was a little bit too late for Alan Stanford, for instance. I've never met Subhash Chandra. A lot of the other people are dead through my time working for Qantas, I probably talked to some of the Packers, but I don't think I ever dealt with Kerry. And of course, in Sean Martin's case, I've had him on my podcast before, and I've met him once or twice around the traps. Lalit Modi is probably the only person on this list that I genuinely know. The first time I met him was at a house of his friends when he had asked for a meeting. I remember really distinctly, for that first hour, his friend talked, and his friend didn't seem to know all that much about cricket. And then for the next hour, Modi spoke nonstop at a feed so fast, that is even by my standards, and everything he said was incredibly futuristic, but also incredibly self-serving. And that was always the problem with Modi. He really did see what could be do with a game well beyond what anyone else ever had. But even the way he was describing it, he was saying that he had to be part of everything for it to be a success. Another time I went to interview him in his home in London, and he had the biggest alcohol selection I've ever seen. It must have been worth six figures just on its own. And then he told me that he didn't drink. But this is a man who, of course, has publicly admitted to using cocaine before. I still have no idea whether to believe him or not. And that was partly how I always felt about Lalit Modi. I must have interviewed him three or four times through his career. In fact, for me, he was always fairly happy to be interviewed. He even came on stage to chat at the premiere of Death of a Gentleman. 
But of course, he was only there for one reason. It was a film that didn't show his arch nemesis and Srinivasan in a good light. So of course, he was going to help us promote it. And I knew that then. And almost any information that he gives you, you have to kind of sniff it really closely. But that doesn't mean he's not a genius, because he clearly is. He was absolutely light years ahead of the rest of cricket. But remember that he didn't really care about the sport himself. He cared about what cricket could do for him. I mean, whether it was our sport or working with Paris Hilton, which he also did, he was trying to see what he could get out of it. Friends, connections, power, money, equity. It was also naked. You couldn't help but see it. And I remember seeing him one day on Twitter, and he put out a lie. And this was around the second time that he was trying to change the game, when he was planning on doing it after he was kicked out of the IPL with what now would have been a Rebel League. So I went on a Twitter thread showing piece by piece why what he had said was false. I've done this with a few different famous people before. Usually it ends up with them either unfollowing or blocking me, which is fine. The interesting thing is that Lalit Modi did neither. And I was publicly calling him a liar. But in truth, I think he was just glad to finally be linked to the story. Next time I asked to chat to him, he was more than happy to. A few years later, Hassan Minhaj had his Netflix show. And they planned on doing an episode on cricket. And his team reached out to me to help them with the Lalit interview. And I said, this is not hard. Just tell him you can only make the show with him in it. Make it clear why it's going to be good for him. Roll the camera and ask any questions. They basically followed that playbook and Modi answered everything they asked. Here is some of it. It was a lot of fun. You've repeatedly said, what have I been accused of? Yes. I'll just read it right to your face. The BCCI found you guilty of eight counts of misconduct, including rigging bids for franchise owners you preferred and accepting kickbacks from broadcast deals. One minute. I'm not finished. The Indian government has opened more than a dozen investigations into your financial dealings with the IPL, including money laundering. They haven't found a zilch. And as far as I'm concerned, they can keep digging, digging, digging till the cows come home and they ain't going to find a zilch because there is a zilch. Majority of the people who run away from the country are kind of guilty. I'm there to give an interview. I'm on every network all the time and every time. And I'm there because I have no guilt. I can look myself in the mirror every morning and be very happy to look at it. And, and I say, oh, you look great, okay? Carry on. <laughs> That's a joke. This might sound controversial on a podcast about cricket history, but I think Modi changed the game for good. I think he did it completely for himself. But I think because of what he did, so many talented cricketers have the ability to make money out of the thing that they're good at for a long period of time. And we're talking about generational wealth in some cases as well. Players from all around the world now have an opportunity of being professional in a way that just didn't exist before. But he didn't do all this because he loved the game. He did all this for himself. The game was just part of what he was trying to do. And Modi was a visionary. But his visions weren't perfect. For instance, he couldn't even see his own downfall coming. And as much good as he did, I really believe that if Modi had truly used his superpowers for the game, he could have even done more for cricket. But the truth is that a lot of his powers just aren't good to start with. He was the king of PR, smoke and mirrors, backroom politics, all that bad stuff. That is how he got things done. And that is also what brought him down. Double Century is a podcast on the 99.94 network. You can download our app via the show notes or look for us on social media to see all the podcasts and audio we produce. If you prefer your podcast ad-free, you can support us on Patreon to get that version. You can find the link in the show notes. 
Double Century on 99.94 is a podcast narrated, produced, and co-written by me, Jared Kimber. Abhishek Mukherjee is the main writer, and Nick McCorriston edits, mixes, and co-produces the show. Sports Social Podcast Network.